welcome to episode 16 of Rebel City Podcast. This is our second podcast today, so I'll no yeah. bother asking you how you're going, man. I am still good. <laughs> Sick of sitting in a fucking chair, probably. Um, really honoured to have us guest today, so it's David Blair for Colonel Mustard in the Dijon 5. Thank you very much. Thanks and, for coming uh, Honoured to be here, thanks for asking me. So apart from having probably one of the best band names ever... I genuinely think that Colonel, every single person that I've spoke to in the last couple of weeks, so I've been bragging because yep. I've been saying I've got the guy for Colonel Mustard coming on the podcast. Every single person's been like, that is some fucking bad name that they've got. Well, our um, relationship that's been blossoming with uh, Sean Keevney and BBC Six Music and The Breakfast Show, it began when we were announced for Liverpool Sound City and Matt Everett was reading out the lineup and then read out our name and then Sean went, whoa, whoa, whoa stop. What did you just say there? He said, Colonel Mustard in the Dijon 5, and they started laughing and went, that is the greatest band name I've ever heard. And I was sitting listening to it in my house well. and that. Right, on the Twitter. Thank you very much, Sean. Ah, you too, right? You've got a couple of celebrity fans, haven't you? I, uh, I've got a few. Um, I, we've got uh, Gavin Mitchell, Bobby the Barman from Still Game. Yep. He's been brilliant for us. Um, he stays. Ah, he's not far away from here. Um He's been into it since we played the Cliff of Trust Festival yep. when, when it was reopening. Uh, they shut Clyde Street there. It was, a, it was a good wee day. He was the compere. Uh, and then after that, uh, he was on Janice Forsyth, I think, and he was asked to name his three favourite acts of all time. And he loves Bowie. He's got a black star like, yeah. me, like me tattoo. I've seen him one night in um, the, was it the garage or something? He, he, was, he was seeing a band in the garage. Uh, it was a wedding band. Uh, they were doing like a display their songs to for, for and it was all just for brides to be right. and gavin got up and did let's dance with one of the bands that was on so he did brilliant he knew them on a personal level or whatever and they clocked him in the crowd and oh i was that way errol slick in that uh i'm not sure it was downstairs in the g2 right so okay. it wasn't they clocked him in the crowd and up you get Gason i Bowie. think i remember him sharing that they absolutely smashed it it was amazing uh he's he's massive massive bowie fan so um i so he, he said he's top three acts all time with david bowie uh, T-Rex and Colonel Mustard in the Dijon 5. High praise, so man. Come, Esteemed company. Uh, so he's a part of like the Yellow Movement. I'm sure that people probably recognise the name because i definitely yep. seen it everywhere. Um, it's just like gyro babies and there's like a collective of people in there. That... There is, aye. The, the Yellow Movement really just began when we were kind of with, with the, the folk who we were pals with that were in other bands, um, we were putting on nights together. So we've got the Gyro Babies, Mickey Rines, Twistets, mm. a few other acts and stuff like that. And then we we kind of just used that as a as an umbrella title in a way, really, just to give a name to our creative community. Mm-hmm. That's like folk doing music, folk doing spoken words, folk doing art and stuff like that. There wasn't really any any limits on it, really. Um, I've I've always loved how various different subcultures and stuff like that and countercultures have developed from well, even before the sixties, but sixties is is the the big one really for me. Um, and uh, it's just like any kind of collection of artists and musicians who are, who are all pals or in, who are all playing and supporting one another usually end up getting called something anyway. Mm-hmm. So we kind of just wanted to call ourselves something before we were given. A title okay. from anywhere else, and it's not—it's not like genre specific or anything like that. Yeah. Um, there's a wide variety of uh, different acts. Ah, exactly. So it's it's across like the full spectrum of inclusivity, which 
music's a great vehicle to do that. Mm-hmm. It's so must, refreshing, man. Because must I, take a lot of inspiration for each other in that regard. Aye, definitely. It's so, like, I think for when I, I was talking to Matt before you came in, mm-hmm. one of the things that I was wanting to talk about is that I felt really isolated when I was in a band. I didn't feel like we had the support. I mean, there was a couple of, there's a band, I don't know if you remember, they're called Recliner. They were from right. Kernesty. They were like a mix between... I don't know, like Stadium Rock, like American Stadium Rock and Oasis. Right. They were all really good. They ended up called Auto Elite. They were signed to King Touch Records okay. for a very brief uh, EP, but um, they were one of the very few groups of people that I felt we supported each other. Yep. I felt that there was yep. a lot of sort of backstabbing that went on um, in the music scene when I was kicking about. There is still an element of that as well. Um, I'd rather just stay focused on what we're doing and, and mm-hmm. creating and sharing our own art and supporting supporting the people. I mean, first and foremost, like we're all music fans. Like you, 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 you pick up an instrument or you join a band because you love music. Yep. Um, oh, so you, you should. You, you definitely. Yeah, aye. Aye. So, so you take your inspirations um, and you want to copy your idols and stuff like that as well mm-hmm. and all of that kind of thing. And um, aye, so first and foremost for us, like, we, who, we love. Who are your idols? <laughs> the Beatles. <laughs> My my top three bands of all time are the Beatles, Radiohead, and Interpol. All right, cool. So uh, that's a spectrum, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's an interesting, interesting trio. Uh, each each with their own um, uniqueness to to them. But um, aye, so first and foremost, like we're all music fans, and mm-hmm. um, we'll definitely support anybody that we enjoy their music and that's yeah. just as simple as that i'd rather rather shout about what's good out there as opposed to saying well we don't like them yeah, they're so rubbish much why do that mm-hmm. focus on the positives aye is there I- much in the way of crossover between <clears throat> so we talk about the the various people that are involved in the, the sort of yellow movement and the collective or you know the, the amorphous blob as you described it off mic um like so do you find yourself like collaborating there has been collaborations, yeah, well, lots of them. Um, I mean, we'll, we'll help promote each other's gigs. We've shared the same lineups as one mm-hmm. another as well. Uh, within within bands, people have been working with, with one another. Mm-hmm. Um, Mark McGee from the Gyro Babies and Jackal Trades, he had a, an all-star cast of who's who some of the best musicians in scotland and maybe further afield on his recent jackal trades album nice. uh, which he launched at the the, the barrel and ballroom for that musicians against homelessness gig yeah, that, that was that you were at which was an amazing weeks. night uh, by so, the way, so the colonel john mcmustard he's on i think it's track 13 on mark mcgee's jackal trades second album um we brought out a novelty Christmas single. We've got right. another one about to drop uh, soon. Okay. Um, a few years ago, uh, we were asked to do a charity single for a, a, a young lassie. There, there was something um, terribly wrong with her medically anyway. Mm-hmm. It was to try and raise some money for her. And um, we did a Christmas single a few years back called Christmas Pimpin'. <laughs> and Mark McGee came in, he dropped some bars doing a kind of rap sing uh, in the middle. And we also had um, a couple of the lads from a, an amazing band called the Plimptons, uh, who okay. we'd played with before as well. So I, there's lots of crossover happening, good, which which I think it's, there's a, there's a healthy competition. There's a healthy respect. Mm-hmm. So we're all kind of trying to push one another further I- up, further up and with with my sort of 
part socialist philosophy and outlook on life. It's comes from really Bill Shankler, I suppose. Like he said, um, the way I see football is the way I see life. It's yep. the giving and the receiving of things and everybody sharing in the rewards. And mm-hmm. if the sea rises and all the ships rise with it. Yep. So that's the way I look at things. Mm-hmm. I think it attracts people as well. Like I think that even though, um, sadly, I've never seen Colonel Mustard play live, um, it, I've always you felt. Can rectify that on the twenty well, second. Oh, well, I'm going definitely yeah, going to be there, man. Definitely going to be there. Cool. Um, Thank you. Uh, I was talking to one of my mates last night, and he, he was saying that's the more into. I was like, I, and he was like, oh man, I can't wait for that guy because he's been to see a couple of times, so nice he's one. like absolutely buzzing to come and see his again. Sold about twelve hundred already now. What's the capacity? The nineteen hundred. Right, so I better get sorted this week. And it's like me and that uh, my mate I was talking to yesterday, Dave. He was saying we should just get everybody make that Christmas night out. So I'm definitely need to um, get oh, my right. finger fingers out of our arses if we're going to do that. But that. a lot of people doing that. There's a that it's always been an attractive thing when I've seen the posts, um, and I've always remembered them. So I always remember the yellow movement stuff and. I think the thing that really attracted me was is that it seemed like it was people that was coming to sees that was talking about it. Whereas when I've ever been in bands, it's me talking about my band yep. and me on Facebook going, come and see my band. Whereas when yeah. it was you guys, I felt that it was the people that were coming to see. So it was like a real sort of old school word of mouth thing that I, was happening. Yeah, it's definitely been organic. I mean, I, I can still vividly recall when we played to about five people in a pub in Croy. Yeah. Um and all places, fuck's sake. I know. Well me me and John and uh, Mark Lang, DJ Five, we we John and I went to our ladies. Uh, that was that was the second high school I went to after I got expelled from Christon High School. Okay. So we, we spent a wee bit of time there. DJ Five, he he lives in Seafar still just now. So Cumbernauld's a big part of our life. Mm-hmm. Uh Massively, I used to live in the village and also Condorit as well. So, do you know uh, John for the Fratellis? Is that no well? I well, we, we we don't personally know him now. He um, went to that school, but I well, <laughs> interestingly or coincidentally, uh, John's dad Brian Waller used to be the Colonel John and I's head teacher at St Barbara's Primary in your head <laughs> and he was the first head teacher I know two days like Sean Keevney small claims court here now <laughs> uh, and he was the the first head teacher we'd had it used, used to be Mrs Grant that retired and then he came in and then he would get us in for assembly and he, he, he started bringing in his guitar and he would be playing it and he'd be getting us all to sing the usual hymns and stuff like that and uh, and then it was he ended up, well, when he retired, he went on to be the club secretary at Mount Ellen Golf Club. They might still be the secretary up there, which just in my neighbouring village, to Muirhead Christen. Yeah. And uh, I went out to see him one day and, and another, another job I used to work in, doing uh, energy management. And, uh, oh, Mr. Lawler, how are you? Said, oh, it's fine, you can call me Brian now, David. Uh, <laughs> I went, uh, hi, your boy's done all right over the years, isn't he? But we remember, like, we used to see some of them... Um, up in Condorit, like the Shannon Farm and the Masonic Arms and stuff like that, we used to drink in. So, I good on them. Uh, he's done. He's definitely done well for himself. Yeah. On I think in terms of that kind of like word of mouth, kind of like awareness that kind of was that organic thing we're talking about. As I was saying to you myself, like I actually heard initially about you through posts for like family members and stuff like that as well. And I think like I, that's definitely been my experience. I like sort of starting to get to know you as through. The other people and that kind of word of mouth sort of movement you know what I mean like, yeah 
I think it, it it's pretty rare these days. I, I, mean, I like, think it's rare, but I th- I think it must be the positive sort of vibe that you are each other, and then it just spreads out to the people that's coming to see these. Yeah, I think there's there's definitely an element of that as well. Um, there's a there's a famous Timmy Fiore quote. He talks about finding the others, um, and the whole kind of link back then like your your vibe attracts your tribe and stuff like that mm-hmm. and um Timmy Fiori was a LSD guy wasn't he he was I well he, he's has um the, the history of him has been what, co-opted by the government because he ended up becoming what the, the most wanted man by the I US government quite uh, but he actually started off in the employment of the the US government like, as Dr Timmy Fiori and LSD had been isolated and then discovered at the Sandoz uh, laboratory in uh, Switzerland. And then uh, Timothy Leary, Dr. Timothy Leary, he got um, permission to do a, a trial experiment with uh, prisoners yep. in California in one of the state prisons there. And it was offenders who were about to get re- released soon and well, let's say, I can't remember the specifics of it, but my pal John Higgs wrote a great book called uh, Timmy Fiore, Um I Have America Surrounded, I think it's called. Okay. Fascinating read, you should check it out. He also wrote a very, very good book about the KLF as well, which is tremendous. And um, when Dr. Timmy Fiore was doing this experiment, let's say when these prisoners come out, 50% of them reoffend within six months. Yeah. And um when he was dosing them with LSD and then giving them psychological and therapeutic uh, counselling, he coined that phrase back then called set and setting. So you get the the setting right and then the set is then kind of like what you're imprinting onto them yeah. through the counselling you're trying and to make them malleable with their exactly LSD. and uh, basically see the error of their ways and like turn them around to put uh, look you don't need to be a cunt like just just yeah. be sound when you leave prison and I think that went really well right up until they released people from prison and they just instantly and they didn't, offended. They didn't well, like, no, well some did anyway aye right? some but uh, the, the results went so far down to zero percent that as the prisons were being uh, privatised and becoming a money-making mm. um, machine, they realised, well, we won't have any prisoners they want if, there's, if there's no crime. Yeah. You know? mm-hmm. So what happens when you monetise imprisonment into it? I mean, look, there's yep. always an incentive to then have more people in prison. Yep. Uh, that's it. You find the profit motive in there and then that skews people's thinking. So in terms of, like, when you were saying, obviously there was the recent anti-homelessness gig... Um, outside, well, in the bars, um, I obviously wasn't able to make that night, but it sounded brilliant. Um, is that is that a kind of common thing for yourselves in the element? Is there causes you are out there that sort of actively support them? Like, yeah, this? definitely. Um, the other, <coughs> the other thing the yellow movement has done is we we've been putting on monthly nights. Um, in Glasgow used to be McCool's, now in the Cliffa Bar, and. Uh, great, great, great wee buzzer, uh and venue and well, I get to be old fella behind the bar who DJs in a suit on one time because I think he, he, he just looks interesting Nick aye 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 he's, he's, a, he's, a, he's a legend in his own right um, and Stramash in Edinburgh mm-hmm. so every month we, we nominate a different charity so the, the one I put on in Stramash oh, last month now 1st of December on it um, 
the one I put on the Stromash last month was for SAMH, Scottish Association for Mental Health. Mm-hmm. Um, over the years, we've done usually like a, a last one of the bands that are playing. So it's it's, it's twofold. It's, it's like a showcase to introduce new bands to particularly the ones I do in Stromash, like the relationship I have with the manager there. It's bringing in bands that he's never seen before. Like, so Stromash is a 950 capacity venue. It's the premier live music venue in Edinburgh now, really. Okay. Smack bang in the middle of the Cowgate, and it's free entry. So it's always stowed. Um, loads of tourists come in there because yeah. it's the busiest pub and club and street in Edinburgh. Mm-hmm. And the sound system's tremendous. The PA is tremendous. Sound engineers are, are very good at their job. Um, and from what, seven, back at seven to three in the morning or five in the morning during the fringe when they've got a late license and, and in December, it's just back to back live music, guys. So, um, I've never heard it. I've never heard it either in that respect. Aye, uh, very good. I don't do, I don't do one in December because we have our focus. Yeah. I don't do one in January for obvious reasons and I don't do them in, um, June and July because festival, festival season is season, quite intense. Mm-hmm. Um, particularly this year's, we did eighteen uh, in Wales, England, Scotland, and South Korea from wow. May to September. South Korea, that was is that a bit yeah. The Republic of Korea, aye, now that 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 came about through Liverpool Sound City. Okay, um, we opened the main stage there in May twenty sixteen and. The first two people that came up to me after the gig and said, right, we want to book you for our festival. One was by Chris Tofu that runs Shangri-La at uh, Glastonbury okay. uh, and Kong Young Dao Se Young, who is the CEO and co-founder of Zandari Festa in Seoul. And that's a showcase festival that Liverpool Sound City partnered with. Um, he said, right, I want to book you for my festival in September. And... So you can, can tell he was an uh, Asian guy of Oriental descent, but I just put his card in my back pocket. It's quite rude to like scrutinise the card when yeah. someone's just uh, standing talking to me. So popped him in my back pocket. Got home that night, pulled them out. All right, let's have a wee look through these and uh, Zandari Festa, Seoul, Republic of Korea. And I went, nah, it's never happening. Uh, <laughs> fucking no chance. No. So I emailed him and I went, listen, will you gen up about that? And he's like. Um, that definitely, I, I think these are amazing. So, spoke to Sound City and I went, Right, how does this work with you guys? And like, Well, what we do is we have Sound City Korea, so you can be a part of Sound City Korea. That's seven bands that we want to take over and play as part of the, the showcase over there. Like happy days. Um, as per usual, whereas we kind of like dilly dallied uh, a bit and missed out on the Creative Scotland open project funding and the PRS International Showcase funding window that you need to get the application in mm-hmm. to, to find out if you're successful or not. Okay. So it cost us five and a half grand uh, to take 13 of us over there, wow. um, which we already knew at that point, though, looking at the tracking that we were going to sell out the ABC uh, that December. So we, we basically just went, listen, how many bands get this opportunity? Yeah. It's going to be an amazing experience and story and incredible thing to like add on to our music CV. Yep. So we went, the money's going to be there anyway. Mm-hmm. Like, let's just, the Colonel took it alone and we did it. That's brilliant. We got vo- voted the highlight of 170 bands for 23 countries and then they invited us back again last year. We, we didn't do it. And then fast forward to this year in June, um, Martin Elborn, who's the, the main booker at Glastonbury, mm-hmm. as there was no Glastonbury this year, he 
as pals with Dalsey and they went, listen, do you want to put on a festival? I can see things politically, relations are, are flawed between uh, the, the North and South, so let's do something to try and like culturally unify the region as well. And it went right up. It was like the Ministry of Culture that organised it. It was all very above board. We had about 15 pages of visa stuff and all of that to fill out to actually get in the country. So they, they put on the inaugural Peace Train Music Festival at the Demilitarised Zone. Wow. And we became the first British band in history whose music could be heard by people in North Korea. That's amazing. Holy shit. That's absolutely amazing. Isn't it? That's fucking outstanding. Only dawned on me the other day as well. Aye, man, that's crazy. I know. Um, so what was it like being there in like the demilitarized zone? Because that's like like an old man's land in between North and South well, Korea. Well, you've got like the actual actual demilitarized zone is um, still still well. No, well, the the what they signed officially declared an end to the war. But I well, there's loads of mines and stuff like that, and, and the sniper turrets and all the rest of it. Uh, we played just outside it. Uh, it was in Chair One Province. Can't remember the exact name of the location, mm. but um, a few of the band uh, went and done the tour on the Monday or the Tuesday, um, and went into the tunnels and stuff like that, and uh, were there when there was like the changing of the guard from the Republic of Korea's side. So uh, it was a quite sombre end to it because they seen a lot of really yeah horrible war, yeah, war stuff. Of course, so. Uh, we don't really hear that much about what's went on in sort of like Korea as like a whole. It's not really that well documented here. Well, that's that's because of the history of it. Um, the they were quite literally just split overnight, like the Berlin Wall going up, and it was it was the US. This was their their um, the Washington Doctrine, where they wanted to in the immediate aftermath of the Second World War, communism then became the enemy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and as the the great political writer in the US, Gore Vidal, he he's got a great book called uh, "Perpetual War for Perpetual Peace." Yeah, and the reason why they're a hyperpower <laughs> is one down to the amount of money that they invest in their military annually, more than every other country yeah, in the rest insane. of the world combined. Who's this? America. US. You talk about America, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but secondly, it's a war economy they've got, so. If your GDP is based on war, then what do you need to keep that GDP <laughs> stable yeah. or or growing? Mm-hmm, exactly. you, you need more war. Aye. So um, that's why we just go into sort of fake wars. And ah, exactly. Uh, false flags that preempt them. Yemen and stuff like that. You know what I mean? Uh, Britain didn't get involved in Korea. They were asked oh, to right. because they couldn't afford to because they were bankrupt after the Second World yeah. War, mm-hmm. and it was the US that was then bailing them out. Um, for that so they just went listen we're skint we're on rations we need to rebuild here mm-hmm. yous are alright yous escaped most of it um, so the the Yanks went gung-ho into Korea and so see culture with their music over there I mean obviously in terms of my understanding of like you know Korean music obviously your brain goes straight to something like K-pop, K-pop. or whatever it is like and obviously, you are not K-pop, okay? No, but uh, we were embraced by that world. Uh, like, so, I mean, was it odd? I mean, I don't get it. Well, How did they react to you? In, in 2016, some videos on YouTube, in 2016, we didn't know how they were going to react to us either. And 
Uh, Seoul's the same size as London population wise, nine okay. million. It's very um it's it's very segregated though. So there's like different parts of the town where if you're thirty to forty, that's where you go. If you're teenagers, that's where you go. Um if you're what mid twenties, like you go here and there's a split musically as well. Okay. So there's an area called um, Hongdae, which is the main hub for independent and indie and rock bands and stuff like that because they, like K-pop is anathema to them. And um, the Xander Festa is primarily to promote all of that kind of music because K-pop's just a way obviously doing its yeah. manufactured own thing. Mm-hmm. It's so big. Just it is, it's massive. I mean, it's even bigger in Japan, so they've got J-pop and K-pop's bigger in Japan the, than J-pop, uh, which is an interesting reverse on yeah. conquering, which there's still some really bad blood um, between the, those two countries mm-hmm. because of that. Um, and so I so they, they voted as a highlight, which is fine. Like we're, we're there at an independent. Think it was because and, you were so different, or what? Aye, totally. Aye. aye. Uh, also because Dalsey, the main man, had seen us at Sound City, so he gave us the main showcase slot in this thousand capacity hall, the right. MUV hall, on the Saturday, and then he also asked us, "Listen, you pick. You can also play the opening party or the closing party." Mm-hmm. We went right. Well, we'll play the closing party. So on the closing party, everybody was there as well and what they'd heard about us from the Saturday, so it brought in even yeah. more. So when we went back um, this year, they we played our first baseball stadium sold-out gig in, in Seoul on the Saturday, which was on the same How line. How many people? Uh, 5,000 maybe or something like that. Um, you planning a move into Korea? <laughs> uh, <laughs> we had uh, to share stadium gig then. Aye, aye. <laughs> I'd love to move. Uh, <laughs> um, and we were on the same lineup as four of the biggest K-pop acts in the country. Nice. So it was like the K-pop Ed Sheeran, this eight-piece girl band, one of the other reasons why I'd love to move there. <laughs> uh, and then the, these three young lads, I can't remember their name, and then another, another, another boy band. So when we were on, we were on first actually, uh, but we'd had a game of... We, we made a football out of gaffer tape and a, and a t-shirt inside it and there was like a wee there were goals behind the st- the, the stage and the, one of the boy bands the three piece we, and their crew we, we had a wee game of five asides <laughs> which which we won three two I, I just came on at the end I missed it because I'd went away to get something I came on left peg wrapped it in the top corner that was that was the winner and um and so they, we, we gave them t-shirts, we swapped music, and they were at the side of the stage when we were on, but they're very, very respectful, Korean people, mm-hmm. very, very respectful, just the nicest, kindest yeah. people I've, I've ever met. Um, but they could see how much of a good time we were having, and I looked over, and I was like, hey, why not, just grab something, and they, so they all came up, and as soon as they came on the stage, all mostly like 90% lassies all the lassies got up on their feet and they were all screaming, screaming that these guys um, their favourite boy band uh, were, were now on stage with us so uh, we ended up getting quite a lot of new fans new six Dijons as we call them um, who watched us there in Seoul and then got the bus up to the 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 DMZ up at the border which is about a three hour bus journey wow. um, on the Sunday to come and see us play there He's clearly made some impression. Aye, uh, it was it was great. We were playing um, with Glenn Matlock. 
for the Sex Pistols? Aye, he he was he was one of the headline acts. Um, he gave me one of his pot noodles when we were watching the <laughs> the England Panama game. So uh, he's at the end of the night. was a bass player. Is that he was, uh, and, yep. but he wrote pretty much everything. He did, aye. Aye, and then mm-hmm. he got popped onto the because he didn't look a pop. Yep. possibly, but lovely, lovely guy. Nah, he's been there, seen it, done it, and the, st- his the stories like? he's got. Um, well, he's he's solo, but he had been over there in advance and had rehearsed with one of the biggest rock bands in Korea called, uh, I think it's Crying Nut. So they played what, all the Sex Pistols tracks that he was doing, mm-hmm. and um, ah, they were amazing. Like they, they'd also played as well. Um, I that that was that was just an what incredible an experience. experience. That must have been uh, Can I always remember years ago? It was, um, remember the Rennells? Yes. The, the can't remember the two brothers' names: Raymond and Mead. Like the Mead, the two the yep. guys in Ocean Colors. Yeah. Um, I always remember them going to Japan and they played to like five thousand people in Japan, and then they came back here. I like, remember the the old stereo in the West End aye they played there so they'd been in Japan it was a Monday night and then they came back on the Saturday night they were playing in stereo and there was like 25 people there well in 2016 on our tour Diary the Peace Love and Mustard tour um, the, the, the three tour dates in September October were the Bungalow Paisley I love that place Zandari Festa Seoul South Korea the Vortex Lounge at the Weavers, Cumbernauld. <laughs> <laughs> I loved Bungalow Barn Paisley, but they gigs... Ah, it's still there. It's, as it's still, aye, it's still aye, kicking. Aye. The, aye, Great gigs, venue, aye. aye the gigs right. they used to put on in there. Like, Wee house. Go down on the Saturday nights and stuff like that and get paid. It was such a different experience to any gig that you got in Glasgow because yep. the guy really appreciated you coming down, gave you a crate of beer, gave you some... Is that Alan? I can't remember the guy's name, but it was right back when they first started doing them and... Um, I, I loved going down there and playing for a man. It was excellent. But. I love getting out. I mean, I love playing anywhere we've never played before, but similarly, I love going out and playing with some of these what, satellite towns or whatever, that, mm. if that's what you want to call them, because we are, we are, a, we are a full-time, part-time band. Like, we only play at the weekends. Um, we've all got jobs. Um, Colonel's got three kids, our drummer and backing singer are married to one another they've got three wins you know other folk in the band have got wins political aye so the the commitments the, the sort of level of commitment that we can put into what we're doing like we we can't really do much more mm-hmm. than what we're doing um, and we obviously get asked to do more than what's physically available in over mm-hmm. the 52 weekends of a year mm-hmm. but I mean that said like we, we do over kind of like the three years I was mostly managing and organising their bookings with 200 gigs and 50 festivals or something like that so it's um, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's great to get out and play places like Paisley and Kilmarnock and did a wee one down Kirkpatrick Durham and Dumfries and Galloway and stuff like that and then Inverness and Aberdeen and Dundee and even down like Bankery and Forest at the yeah. earlier on in the year and stuff like that. So and if you're visiting places that don't necessarily get a, a, a reasonable calibre, you know, no band that that's going to just you know raise the you know, yes. the recent Galloway, they're not they're not booking massive gigs. Curiosity they? factor, you know what I mean? Like, so I think there's mm-hmm. going to be an appreciation there for yep. that as well. You know what I mean? I when we when I first started playing in music, <clears throat> um, we did a similar sort of thing. We used to go Thursday and. Friday and Saturday if we could but the guy that used to book our gigs he used to book us into like 
Ballahoolish. Yeah. And like pubs in the Fort William. Like all these wee tiny towns up Loch Lomond. I remember. And you would that. go there. Like Crofter Bar you played in Fort William? Yep. Uh, and you would go there and there would be like 100, 110 people. Place would be rammed out. Yeah. And <laughs> they would be very actually enjoy music. Whereas when you would, no being disrespectful to Glasgow or like, I mean, we used to play some amazing gigs here, but it didn't seem to quite have the same sort of impact on the people. Yeah. Like when you go to these places, like, they want to get to know you, yes. they want to speak to you. And it's, yeah. When you come down to Glasgow, it's almost like an elite, a sort of elitism, and you're playing King Tuts and like uh, too cool school. Especially like we were in, we were one of the fortunate ones that would have people there. But what I hated about it was is that we would sell, say, your hundred ticket allocation for King Tuts, and then everybody that was there to see you would just all just leave uh, right after you were done. Yeah. And then the guys going on, we supported uh, Tom Hingley for the Inspired Carpets. Carpets one night in King Tuts, and we we must have went on to about two hundred folk, and then he went on to like. And I'm not even exaggerating, about 12, yep. 12 folk. And he had a dig at me for the stage, which I actually spoke to him on Twitter about recently. He was right. like, somebody said to me, I was like, oh, he was a bit of a prick to me one night in King Tut's. And he was like, I remember that and I'm sorry. I was right. just like, fair Thank play to you, him, mate. Aye. Fair play to you. But um, I completely understood why the guy felt like that. Like, do you know what I, I mean? Know. Like, there's a it's quite demoralising. He said something like, your fans are only true music fans, mate. That's what he said to me. I know. I mean, if, if, if I buy a concert ticket, what? If I can, if I've got the time and I can get there, then I'll go and watch the support acts as well. I just think you're getting more for your money. You're going to discover. I mean, you've got your Muse tattoo on there. I mean, I remember watching Muse supports Gunk and Nancy at the Barras. I didn't know who Muse were. You know, I like, seen them the support feeder at the garage right, right. for Music Live as well, and it was just blown away with exactly. them. Exactly. And the thing, that's, that's it. I mean, like, you can go and sometimes see a support act who end up being better. Mm-hmm. Uh, than the, the main actor yeah. maybe just going through the motions or whatever but ah, yes, uh, you're right I mean if, if you are a music lover then you should be there to take in as take much as you can ah, exactly like you're saying sometimes you just especially when I was a teenager you'd be like waiting at the Barrowlands like freezing I know you'd be like doors are at half seven yep. you're there at seven and then you would be like running to get to the barrier uh, as you get older you're like what time are they on it? I know. And half nine, I'll turn up at quarter past nine, slide in, have my pint, and then I'm at the door once yeah. for But lunch. do you also think, uh, coming back there, we said, uh, off my John Lennon quote, life is what happens when you're busy making other plans. So that's also just because you get more commitments as you get mm-hmm. older. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So uh, your, both your disposable time and your disposable income are not as disposable anymore. No, I mean, the, the, the case study for me recently was, um, I went to the bars to see um, Garbage's, 2.0 yep. um, 20 year anniversary and that was my first ever gig at the bar is almost 20 years previously to the day right and that time was i, I remember going home for the garage winding uh, the, the bar is winding in my bed and the room spinning because i was absolutely fucking steaming my first ever drinking at 17 this time run i got there 10 minutes before they got on stage because i was at work i then was like ugh you know, I'm, I can't even bother. I'm at the back here and the gig was phenomenal, but like the two of them were completely different experiences because oh, of age and, you know, the, your commitments and all def- the difference. We were coming out after it having nice chats and, you know, catch up for coffee next week and all mm-hmm. the rest of it. Whereas like, the, you know, 20 years ago, I was bouncing down the bar of stairs, you know, screaming, push it at the top of my voice, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That's what I loved about that charity gig was seeing a lot of people my age still going to 
the bar is and getting down the front. And mm-hmm. I was like, I said that to my girlfriend. I was like, pure did, I, did I see you there? I can't remember. We, I don't think we, no, we didn't speak. Um, I, but I was there the full night. I think I came in just before Loki went on. Right. And then I, we stayed on, I think we seen like six or seven acts or something like that. Bombscale were phenomenal. Ah, they're tremendous. I mean, what a band. That's the first time I, I messaged you saying that's the first time I've ever seen them. I've seen right. their name about, like, yeah. I'd seen their yeah. name about, but Ska's not really my thing. Um, so I wouldn't go. But again, we, see both. if I seen them play, if or if I would, if I'd seen them playing, I would go and see them because right. it's such a good live act. What are you doing for Hugmanay? Well, that was another thing I was talking to my mate last night. I was asking him. Bob so scared are play? playing Stromash and Hugmanay with Seabasket and Super and the Kryptonites. So I think I'm going to go through there for that. Um, ourselves and Bomb Scare. And, and a few others, Elbow, Lewis Capaldi, Tom McGuire and the Brass Holes, Awkward Family Portraits. We just got announced for Bella Drum there uh, during the week and for next year. And our night with Bomb Scare, Katie Tunstall and the Peat Bog Fairies is the first night that sold out for the Big Burn Supper down in Dumfries in okay. the Big Spiegel tent uh, next January. Uh, we just found out we Mandy Clark, who's the bassist in Bombscare. Um, she's going to start playing with Katie Tunstall's band as well. Oh, really? Uh, so that's a really good move for her. She's been, pl- she's been playing bass uh, with the Go Team as well. Oh, yeah. She's phenomenal bass. I was going to say she's tremendous. an excellent bass player. Uh, uh, Mitch was what became what her mentor when they were on that. <clears throat> so they won the, the best part-time band in that BBC competition. Um, and Majur was assigned to be their mentor right. and that Peter Hook was in it as well with some others and um, um, t- um, the guy who was the main man Soul to Soul called again Jazzy no I just watched that documentary on Netflix as well about like the hip hop evolution and the whole like episode for Soul to Soul and I just can't remember the guy right okay <laughs> Jazzy B aye Jazzy, Jazzy B, B. Um, if you've ever, uh, you must have had offers for deals and management and agencies and stuff like that. Well, we've got a booking agent um, that had to happen to reduce stress. a huge amount of stress and time uh, off me last year. Uh, Antidote Booking, shout out to them, Cree and Jamie and Louis. So they're, they're doing a great job uh, for us. Mm-hmm. And um, management wise, um and label wise one were label unfriendly and two were unmanageable <laughs> <laughs> so what, what makes you label unfriendly uh well nowadays where the labels make their money where the bands make their money it's uh you don't get it through spotify plays anyway it's um gigging and merch mm-hmm. yeah so again because coming back to what i said earlier about us being a full-time part-time band and, and our weekly commitments you think about the the beatles song eight days a week why did ringo come up with that phrase because it seemed yeah. to him that they were just gigging eight days a week and that's what the industry would expect of you if you're signed for them to get a return on their yeah. investment mm-hmm. um so at the moment well, that's just it's, it's impossible for us to go out and play Monday to Friday in Sheffield, York, Leeds, Nottingham, Derby or whatever. Mm-hmm. Because uh, that's the only revenue stream for the industry now as well. <coughs> it's led to like a massive overpricing of gigs for me. Like you look at something like the Hydro and you know, it's 78 oh, quid right. a, gig, a, a ticket and it's because, yep. as you say, that traditional income stream is not there for bands anymore. Exactly, yep. And um, <coughs> I mean, it's, it's completely changed the industry for 
artists mm-hmm. as well. It's, it's made it harder uh, for them to have full-time jobs yeah. uh, doing what they're doing. Um, and merch is the, is the other one. But where do you sell your merch? At gigs. At gigs, or, yeah. on, or online. So, um, I mean, we do really, really well with our merch. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've got what, what seems to be like a cult t-shirt now in many respects and um something that just organically began was the 60s johns would be going around the world and sending us pictures of them wearing their t-shirts and now we've had pictures being sent to us from what new zealand hobbiton and mary kiani used to be in ttf she lives in sydney and she's got her t-shirts and she loves her band and sends us pictures outside sydney harbour or probably building stuff like that and Right through, a guy took his t-shirt into the Amazon, Alaska. <laughs> so we're, we're constantly, they're constantly pushing, pushing the boundary of what we're doing. totally. That's what that's what made me notice was that yep. sort of like online message. You never thought about thought of yourself as like a Alan McGee type, start your own label. And well, we we do self release, so mm-hmm. I suppose in our own way, really, really we are. I mean, it's the kind of formalize it in a creation records type way is it's another conversation i suppose really but it's just coming down to like time and money and stuff like that with these kind of things but i think if, if there's one thing that the the way the industry has changed and the the current model has been a positive for acts uh, and bands and mu- musicians out there is it's um uh, it's, it's, it's created it's went back to a lot more of a punk philosophy from a lot of bands where they're just thinking to themselves well actually well, just I, there's, I, there's all the tools there and, and my laptop and I can go and I can record and then you've got social media to announce you're playing a gig and then try and uh, grow your fan base and tell people what you're doing mm-hmm. um, and then through that word of mouth obviously helps massively yeah. um, but when you think about it I mean Okay, like some people will talk about you if you're absolute gash, but if you're good at what you do and you entertain people, then naturally they'll want to tell their pals. Yeah. So um, the, the, there's a lot of ingredients have to come together, obviously, for for a band to kind of like hit that sweet spot. But we just, um, as I say, we just keep on kicking our Dijon ball along the road and we're doing things our own way and we don't need to answer to anybody really so we're having fun I, doing it I think it's going to be something you see more and more I think there's guys and, I, and again I don't know on the surface it looks like it, like guys like Jerry Cinnamon and stuff like that as well that seem to be kind of you know know the traditional signed artist or whatever it is they're, they're building exactly the, you know the bottom up on their own in their yep. own terms and stuff like that yep. massive know? respect for what Jerry's done it's absolutely incredible and what an inspiring story to mm. see it just continue and grow and grow mm-hmm. and grow was, this tour that he's doing with uh, the Cortinas Aye. I mean he's I think he's went yep. another level Aye. next next level um, I definitely and I was one of the 60,000 that stood there to watch him at Transmit during the summer as well and seemed like all of Transmit were right there right. to see him at that time and when you see the aerial shot it probably was mm-hmm. it's incredible to watch I mean I don't I wouldn't I would go and see the guy I don't it's not my type of music but this, that doesn't even matter to me because yep. it's just so good to see somebody 
from Glasgow yep. one do so well, but definitely also in the manner in which he's done it, he's yep. done it with like two fingers to like. I mean, aye, it's it's incredibly inspiring. As like punk as it comes, yeah. definitely, man. I am I'm loving watching these videos on Twitter and stuff like that. Like, I hope it's something we see America because I'd love to see more people, artists, musicians, unshackled for you know the the constraints that you know are a corporate entity like a record label, whatever. Yep. It is. But when you're in charge of your own art then that art is instantly more true to who you are and yeah as an definitely artist. there's no compromise in there and the other thing i'd said they're like we're, we're we're label unfriendly um again like if, if, if a label wants to stick you out on tour then also needs to get accommodation and logistics and when mm-hmm. there's 11 people in your band yeah. <laughs> that's a lot of accommodation yeah <laughs> We have actually looked into like the Star Cruisers, like the the twelve bed uh, double deckers and stuff like that, and thought, well, why don't we just get one maybe for like one weekend? We were we were talking about doing it for that Yellowween double header we did up in Inverness and the Ironworks in Aberdeen and Lemon Tree, but we ended up just getting there. Taking our own vehicles. Had uh, two buses, <clears throat> sleepers, uh, for that type of thing. I know ever did was stag those to Newcastle. And right. <laughs> I'd I'd like I would like to get one for something for a weekend get the full aye. experience aye. Aye. So just on the bus and aye, stuff exactly like aye. 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 that's I can always remember going out and doing like wee tours and stuff in like vans yeah and sort of thinking it's no not until you get the bus yeah <laughs> that's when you've made it in the back of transit vans on tap of amps where you know chairs that aye. were bolted into the yeah bowl the worst one that we did was we were so young like that my mates the guy who played drums dad used to drive the van at the weekend right. that's what he used to and uh, it was dodgy as fuck. It was back in the days where you could have no insurance and all that shit. You were just getting a line of van right in the back of the van. Drunk driving. Aye, exactly. And we played a place called Keith, um, which is in the north of Scotland somewhere. Yep. I don't even know where it is. We, we drove through it. Keith Town Hall we played. Did we? But there was Maybe. people, there was people, it was like a school disco. There was like guys there with 16 year olds there with like bottles of cider you could see them standing in the crowd taking the bottle of cider out and taking right. the bottles. it was a great night though the place was sold out it's fucking excellent but excellent. um we were on our way back down we played uh, an acoustic set in moray first radio on the way home yep and we were on our way we were fucking hung over the fuck it was like pure sitting in the back of this van my mate's dad was smoking a fag and he flicked it out the window and it blew back in Oof. but it he just went then ah. <laughs> we were like the fuck did he just say oh, just never mind and then the next minute somebody just jumped up like where the fuck's that and it had bumped right through the sleeping bag right until <laughs> <laughs> it was just sitting on his fucking chest like a fucking flick the fag I think that was the worst experience we ever had tried because we had no idea what had happened to this guy he was just rolling about the flare of this van just yep. screaming <laughs> got, him out the, got him out the sleeping bag and eventually he was like how oh, the fuck flicked a fag and he's, it was his da it was right. like pure it was me I shouted I was sleeping. <laughs> exactly. I we were all so hung over on the back of this fan playing seventeen year old playing in Keith Town Hall. It was a bit inexperienced one. So how do you how are you feeling about um the sort of political climate and you're saying you're a socialist? Yeah, well my my political leanings come from my dad was quite heavily involved in politics and activism. He used to be a secretary for the Fire Brigade Union. I was involved in the Anti-Poll Tax Federation uh, Militant Party and um, it was also a political cartoonist so his, his right. satire was tremendous so I, I grew up on that and also um, spitting image yep. and having a 
very healthy contempt for I was I was one of Thatcher's children, born in seventy eight, so she stole my milk. Yeah. Um <coughs> I had family that worked in the steel yards as well, which were, were shut on her watch. And I'm a Liverpool supporter. So then Hillsborough mm-hmm. yeah. happened as well and um I campaigned long and hard uh, as part of the Hillsborough Justice campaign with along with the Hillsborough family support group and um, it was only when about 10,000 of us went down, met in the Thames Embankment one morning and marched through London right up to the gates of Downing Street, uh, demanding justice for the 96 that they eventually decided uh, to have a, a, a look at it again after all the previous uh, whitewashing of it and, mm, yeah. and lies. and uh, Under Cameron that that happened? Establishing lies. So Cameron was the guy who'd, already said during his tenure um, about those seeking justice for the 96, you need to stop looking no other like a blind man in a room trying to find a black cat that doesn't exist words to that effect oh. and then what a revolt for us here to do a full 360 and, uh, and then he was the one who we got the over the hundred thousand uh, e petitions signed, which mm-hmm. then means it becomes a backbench tabled motion, yep. and then Steve Rotherham uh, then sort of like pushed it all through up to the point where for the first time ever the all the the ninety six victims' names were were read out and recorded and, and answered. So that that was a a victory and a vindication of the truth, mm-hmm. which we'd always known anyway, um, but. The establishment, as they've done before, like the Guildford Four and the Birmingham Six, and Orgreave. I, I, I feel so sorry for the folk of Orgreave that I don't think they'll get anything resembling justice. There's not even any admission of what yeah. what actually went down there from from the government. So what did go? I'm I'm ignorant to that. Uh, the well, Battle of Orgreave, as it became known, was when Maggie sent in the army dressed as uh, police, police and officers. police officers on no Yorkshire, right? And uh, police officers on horseback with batons and you've seen, you seen the uh, mocked up image of a police officer on a horse coming up behind Thatcher. Uh huh. Right. That, so that's from that. That's from uh, that. Right. I mean, it was just it was indiscriminate. And was that cool? institutional abuse ah, it was just that was minors on right, strike minors. Mm-hmm. so uh, so my dad was part of like, the even like, the fire brigade strikes and stuff like that and had showed solidarity across the board um with with all our, our comrades just trying to stand up and fight for a better life for themselves mm-hmm. as working class folk for yeah. their, their family and their friends so um I've, I've had a healthy as i said a healthy contempt for the establishment and government in particular, yeah, um, the various institutions that um, are just indiscriminate and they are indiscriminate in their discrimination against mm-hmm. certain sections of society. Mm-hmm. And coming up to today, I mean, this this current it's getting, it motley crew of Tories. Yeah, I, mean, I mean, it's like they're, they're killing people through universal credit. They're are going after the disabled. I mean, they're going after. There's, there's a saying: um, you can 
you, you can measure a country by how well it treats its, its most vulnerable. Its most vulnerable. Aye, that's it, that's it, aye. And I mean, right now, it's it's like a, a, an or, well, nothing happens by accident in government. This is the thing. Like their policies are designed to maximise the suffering yep. of the most vulnerable members of our society. I mean, that's who 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 the fuck votes for them? I know, honestly, I just I, I can't get my head around it. I've never got it myself, to be honest with you. And also, a damning indictment on on their watch as well is you look at the 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 current um uh, the current government, and they are the government who have created two new posts, two new ministerial posts, one for loneliness and one for suicide. I mean, so if you have a need for a minister for loneliness and a minister for suicide, and what does that say about what you're doing to the mm-hmm. country? Yeah, absolutely. Mm. I think it's, it's it's obviously you know self-evident that you know these policies are vindictive and you know aggressive. It's about discomforting and potentially eradicating an underclass of people that they don't want as part of their country. Um, I mean the UN, the UN report recently, the guy right. came in and you know a, a special rapporteur on poverty, I totally. Like sourced, I mean, bang up to date, top drawer reporting, and the government went, no. We don't like, agree with his findings. Here's some facts. We uh, don't agree with facts. Uh, we don't like facts. Here's the science behind what your policies are actually doing to real people, and they're like, yep. and you're like, can you imagine what fuck? it's going to be you like once I mean? they let the fucking lunatics run the asylum, but post Brexit? I think this is the scary <laughs> thought is that this isn't going to get anything to do with immigration or the way that they've sold it to the masses. It's about them getting their power back to do whatever the fuck they want in this country. Well, in the UK. Yeah. Mm. A lot of it's got to do with that. I think I read something the other day that said that they were told, Cameron's government was told when they were the coalition that they had to raise the minimum, uh, the, the maximum uh, state pension in line with Europe. And that was one of the main reasons why yeah. they were like, well, we can't, we're not going to do that. Uh, in comparison to some EU, EU countries, is Spain absolutely it, disgraceful. Spain is like I mean, 500 what? quid, it's 500 quid to, but, and versus over, what, 140. Mm. So it's like nearly nearly five times, the, or the, three times. The, the big one, I mean, there's, there's there's criminality obviously going on, like we know that now, what the Electoral Commission have, have proven that... Yeah those in the leave campaign um were falsifying and misleading and, and abusing UK elections in um, general ah, elections it's, it's, it's fraud. definitely totally man it's it's been going on let's, grand fine. let's not let's you know I mean? let's not let's not beat about the bush let these 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 cunts are cheating uh to get the the decision that they want but um that's before you even take into account the Cambridge Analytica stuff. I know. And the way that they've 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 managing to infiltrate social media uh, but to push it towards yeah, their own narrative. Absolutely. So the, the the electoral commission's about funding and that's even before you start to really pay attention to what the fuck's going on. I know. Do you know what I mean? It scares the life out of me, man. Like it really does to think that this sort of political class of people is gonna be in ultimate charge and it's people like Boris Johnson who all basically come from a really small section of society. Yeah, Billington boys. Yeah. Yep. What do you reckon to Jeremy Corbyn? Well, as, a, as a socialist? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the they've, Labour Party have played their cards quite close to their chest with the whole Brexit one, but I know it's now McConnell's now came out and said, listen, our our timeline here of what, what, what we're going to do is we're obviously going to vote down May's checkers Brexit white paper. Um, which most of their own party are going to do anyway, and mm-hmm. obviously the SNP, um, the Liberals, the Greens, they'll all do the same. So 
There was there was chat recently of the Lib Dems looking to replace the DUP, DUP and right. the supply and demand agreement, but I don't think that's came to fruition. But I don't get how somebody like the Lib Dems who fervently campaigned against, you know, even the EU can then side with the Tories to get a Brexit deal through. Yep. You know what I mean? Cables like, <sighs> fucking Tory anyway, man. Guy, it's, it's, it's all fucking Machiavellian brinksmanship from all of them, isn't it? So, uh, I mean, the stakes are obviously very high, but I mean, from the Labour Party, they've been quite happy, I think, in the recent past, just to take a sit back and go, ah, you are fucking all of this up well enough without us even adding any fuel into the fire. So keep on going, keep on going, let your party in fight, in fight, in fight, in fight. And then McConnell's came and said, so we would then be looking for um, to go back for a new deal or pushing for the people's vote. Mm -hmm. um, and then the second second referendum result, a second referendum, sorry, on it. Um, and then I think it's that thing for the Labour Party at the moment, like the, the you know the famously attributed quote to Napoleon, where you know don't interrupt your enemy when they're making a mistake. And yep. I think there has been an extent to which the Labour Party has tried to do that recently. Yeah. Um, but I would have preferred to have seen a wee bit more. Yeah. You know, maybe a bit less of the kind of wishy-washy response that you sometimes get for guys like Corbyn. Because I, I said on another episode, we talked about that all he needs to do to win a general election is come out and go. We'll have a second referendum. Yep. That's it. You know what I mean? The play, it'll, it'll have well, then I, well, there's a possibility you know I mean? of the snap election as well, yeah. isn't there? So they've they've obviously had to be quite vocal. I think she's going to bed in and hope that she can get her the line where I don't think she'll call an election. May, but could be wrong. Yeah, well, we, we shall see. I, I think for me anyway, I, I was a campaigner for independence and joined the Colonel and I, like we were we were going round the doors as part of our yep. local Christ and Coat Bridge and Bells Hill um constituency, yes, campaigners and for me, like I was depressed for a while after after that. Um we we some most, a few in the band uh, we played the, the Freedom Square um demo the day before it and I've never never experienced such a groundswell of positive optimism. Mm -hmm. Uh, at a political level, across like, so many people there yeah. that, that there were uh, in George Square that night, and um, it was to go for that. I mean, I, I if it had been now as the person that I'm now, because I wasn't the same person back in 2014, I'd have probably I cried that night. I've mm. got to say, I mean, the, the 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 most shocking thing for me was I hate it was the only place where I, I was really like looking, but there was a, like a link to the Daily Mail website, and the first picture that came up was a guy standing by Union Jack that I went to school with. And I was just like, this is like my worst nightmare. Like, not only do I feel like like somebody's died because we didn't get independence, I yep. genuinely felt grief. Yep. I'm having to look at pictures of guys that I went to school with now kicking lumps at people in George Square. That it was, was to horrendous. go for that day, like that day in uh, George Square, but it was just, it just seemed like this is a country that I want to be part of. Like, yep. I'm actually getting goosebumps thinking about being in that that pot like you're saying yeah. you could feel it yep. you could feel it's it palpable. everywhere you're like this is going to happen this is to go for that to the mob walking along Duke Street and out a central station and yep. attacking people it was I know. it was actually fucking England casuals came up for that as well oh, they, were, they were already on their way uh, as soon as yeah, they found out that we'd voted w win, or, win or lose they got their train well yeah. maybe possibly which would have would have probably been even worse uh, if, if we had voted for independence and they'd have ruined it like with like violent attacks but. fast forward to just now and there's been a, a saying I've been repeating again and again and that you look at 
the politics of Westminster and what's going down there just now and the absolute mm-hmm. shit show that's that's kicking off. Yeah. And you can only stay handcuffed to a maniac for so long before mm-hmm. you realise you have to cut off your own hand to save yourself. Mm-hmm. And we are in that situation oh, right now. Actually, mm-hmm. That's quite a good analogy, actually. <laughs> Aye, beautifully put. Yep. That's, that's where we're at. Hopefully, we, I, I mean, I don't really... I genuinely don't give a fuck about what happens. Well, I do care about what happens with Brexit, but independence is... I mean, so I've never gave up on that. I've never only strengthened our resolve for it. Uh-huh. I've never gave up on mm-hmm. that. I've, I mean, I started out getting criticised on social media for being a Celtic fan and an Irish Catholic that uh, was wanting to be part of the union just because I was... I, I genuinely had nothing other than mainstream media to go by and I was just sitting going like, no, there's no way that we can do this. Like, yeah. we're too small. Like, yeah. why would we break away and all these different bits and pieces? We end up with the Euro... Like, just all the bullshit that came out. And then as soon as I started to read that, it was like a political awakening that I had during that sort of independence campaign. I started at hating Alex Salmond and thinking, this guy just wants to be the, the first king of the new Scotland. And then by the end of it, I was just like, absolutely, like, we should... Why have we never done this before? Why, have we, why are we only hearing about this in 2014? Right. Yep. The amount of money that they've squandered for our natural resources is yep. absolutely fucking disgusting. Nah, it's very true. But um, that's I, I I had a political awakening during that time, and I think it actually subsequently ended up to where I'm just now, where like actually like waking up my own life and yep. seeing different sort of like basically seeing the truth. I like sort sort of different well, situations. You've got your Rage Against the Machine tattoo on there, so you're clearly listening to the lyrics to wake up. <laughs> Aye, I was always like with Rage Against the Machine. It was always funny because I've seen them live. I've seen them live a couple of times, and it was always about the music. Me too. But recently especially the last like four or five years been listening to the lyrics and they're more relevant now than they are exactly i was gonna say they're truer now than what they were 1992 or whatever when they first came out it's it's insane especially with the references that they make to the american political sort of spectrum yeah but then that's it's just none of it ever changes it's just repackaged and reframed in a slightly different manner and then fed straight back to you you know what I mean? And I think that's maybe why when you look throughout history, you're, you know, your Bob Dylans and, you know, any of the, the, the great artists that had something political to say for themselves, that it then resonates because it's just all going back running circles. Well, I think um, with any good crime, you follow the money. And there's obviously a lot of people. I mean, now you can fit, I think there was an Oxfam report, like the, the richest 84 people in the world control or have more wealth than the bottom half of the rest of the world yep. and um, you can fit all of them in a double decker bus uh, and they have half the world's wealth exactly. and um, you look at since the second world war and what what then went down thereafter and the various economics of different countries and whatnot then it's really been neoliberal capitalism has been absolutely the the main driving force behind our, our economy um, economics and whilst oh, Bill Hicks used to have the, the classic say, quote where he'd said um, oh the puppet on the right speaks my language and the puppet on the left speaks my language but it's the same brain behind both of them <laughs> controlling it so um, as uh, one of the Rothschilds in the past once said that I care not for what king sits on the throne uh, for they're just a puppet and whoever controls the money supply controls the nation and yep. I control the money supply so there's a lot to be said about what's going on behind the scenes as well with um, 
well, you know, two conspiracy theorists about it, but also like banking and the military industrial complex and yeah. stuff like that. Again, I kind of comes full circle back to the, the whole Korean thing. Like if you've got a war economy and you need war to keep the GDP growing, and um, and that's 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 obviously fueled a lot of what's mm-hmm. been yeah, happening geopolitically Definitely. you wonder about what would happen i mean you, you, it would america would collapse because i wonder what would happen if we moved away from oil and we stopped fighting each other because that is i mean the petrol dollar and the industrial war complex is literally propping up a house of cards uh, and the biggest economy in the planet like yep. and it would just all just and in itself it would be like devastating yeah i know i know i mean the potential for renewable energy across the world does is unbelievable. Um, and they say that like work, geothermal work. energy is one of the kind of facts I've picked up in recent months. Geothermal energy is already in a position to provide almost all what the world needs. Yep. It's, I mean, it's like tapping into that. Countries like Portugal yep. uh, are massively sort of green, go for months at a time each year without any sort of, you know, sort of fossil fuel usage and stuff like that. Well, what a surprise that they're one of the ones that during the fucking 2008 they get kicked in the fucking nuts do you know what i mean the, the, their economy yeah. tanked uh, well costa spent. rica were the, the first country in the world um i've been an activist and political lobbyist for greenpeace for, for quite a while right a greenpeace there to, to yep. learn. and um i work for them at glastonbury as well mm-hmm. and I, sp- I spent five months in costa rica um wanted to go there for a few reasons at the time it was officially the happiest country in the world okay. on the the happy planet index um they're one of the only countries in the world one of only three possibly who don't have an armed forces which is an interesting historical story in itself and they were uh they they are still very very big on their renewable energy and they've also got the highest percentage of their land uh protected as um national parks um and they have the the highest um highest volume of biodiversity for the area of land that they've got as well. That that comes from Costa Rica, Spanish for rich coast. And when the conquistadores were coming through, they were always assuming that wherever they went, they were going to find the next El Dorado or whatever. Uh, But when they came to Costa Rica, they just found impenetrable jungle, really impenetrable jungle, which was killing quite a lot of them with the tropical diseases. So they left it. So that became an untouched, Costa Rica became an untouched part of the Americas as they were uh, conquering and raping and pillaging and colonizing the rest of them. So the biodiversity there was just left to get on with doing what nature does best when we get out of the way and that's thriving. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's an amazing country um, but when I went there I was also very interested to find out about what they were doing with the renewable energy and solar geothermal um, hydro and um, those were the main ones really that mm-hmm. they were that they were using and I think it was possibly when I was there so they went a full month where 100% of the electricity demand was generated from renewable resources and they've been going on and doing that consistently so the technology's there um, I remember yeah. when I was working in energy management consultancy over the referendum for us um, there was a, a team of engineers released information which I think part of it formed the, the white paper but I remember seeing the full document itself and Scotland is officially the wettest and windiest country in Europe uh, we've number one 
There we go. Num- <laughs> num- number one at something. But we've got the, the strongest tidal surges mm-hmm. off like the yep. Moray and Solway Firth and stuff like that. And again, the technology is there. Um, we we possess the natural ability to generate five times the electricity that we would need to use as a nation, yep. which means that with that energy surplus, um, if we were to build subsea grids um, and export it to our nearest neighbours. Estimated something like 25% of the continental, continental Europe's energy usage or yeah, at a time yep. is potentially where they've got. And when you look at some of our other neighbours as well who... What Norway, for example, the Langeled and Vesterled pipelines come into our country, so we get a lot of our gas from them. But with our renewable energy capabilities, and a lot of that land, nobody's on it anyway. It's like the highlands and stuff mm-hmm. like that as well. Yeah. It's got like high land. Um, we we could have that energy surplus, and we could be exporting it, and that would make us a lot, a lot of money. And I think there was somebody who who I knew at the time who was quite well linked uh, within the within business in, in the Yes campaign and he just said to me kind of really from the start of that look it's never going to happen because of one simple thing energy yeah and we are even with the 95% of the the North Sea, and then they were telling us oil was running out, and then they found some of the biggest fields up off of Shetland, oh, yeah. which I they're exploiting now. I remember that the mystery campaign. field that didn't exist, and they were all getting ridiculed for knowing about. I can yep. remember somebody sending me something that was saying that Cameron had chopped into Shetland, and there was a picture of him on Shetland, and they were yeah, like, yeah, "Why is he there?" And yep. the BBC came out and actually was like, "There's nothing there." Um, the BBC can fake news. A lot of retweets and stuff on Twitter this week are like high-end BBC journalists who were like involved in conversations like actively mocking people for the Yes movement yeah. and stuff like that for, you know, howling at the moon conspiracy theories and then you're like, oh, I so two years later, three years later, we're all still howling at the moon. Uh, exactly. I think as well, in, in terms of Scottish sort of green energy, I know obviously up north in the kind of Hebridean areas that you're talking about, um, sort of seabed turbines and stuff like that mm-hmm. were becoming quite a big thing in and around the sort of 2014 mark. But I know that obviously when Cameron's coalition went to a majority one of the, the sort of first things they did was essentially legislate against remove the, the green, green energy, energy tariffs yeah i mean yep. they absolutely need yeah they absolutely kneecapped the scottish green industry and it was to in an attempt to obviously undermine again yep. the, you know the scottish economy which for me was disgraceful i mean that was something that was as you say potentially able to generate a massive surplus that would have absolutely benefited yeah, the, the, the whole country of the UK. And the, you know what I mean? I what? mean, we've signed up to these legally binding, supposedly legally binding, but how that's going to change them once we the EU, EU Energy Directive, mm-hmm. where um, to be X amount of your energy grid was decarbonized by 2020, and then there's yeah. various other targets then moving forward, and just absolutely nowhere near um, hitting them because no. they're not interested in doing anything that incentivizes green energy when you've still got oil and gas companies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a political influence though, isn't it? That's exactly. The aye, again. The... It will only be, we, we'll see green energy when BP have got their infrastructure in aye. place. When, when, aye, when all these big oil and gas companies are literally like, we need to move into this area. It's the same way like, we're seeing new electric cars because now the big, big car companies are like, we're starting to make electric cars. And same sort of thing we've spoke about a couple of times about like the legalisation of weed. When that happens, okay, when that happens, 
it will be big businesses that make it happen. It won't be right. like in America where it's been like local votes mm-hmm. that's pushed it through with a domino effect. I think yep. in this country, it will be the money that they see happening over there and then the infrastructure's already built up in America, so American companies will just come over and go. Yeah, like Philip Morris or something like that, and yeah. then they'll still get the... And I, th- I reckon that's the way it'll uh, go in this country, unfortunately. But that's us out of time, mate. We're well over. Cool. We're like, aye, we're about 10, 15 minutes over. No bother. Do, man. I've had that, like, you're a fountain of fucking knowledge. Thanks very much. Uh, I've had that, it's been an incredible conversation. Cheers, I enjoyed I really the chat. Thanks, it. guys. Going for the... Um, music right the way through to sort of like really good political chat man so thanks very much for coming on you're welcome thanks for having me I'm honoured for having you so the gig is we've got it on the screen but the gig's Saturday the 22nd of December people will be lucky to get a ticket by the sounds of it but um, I'll definitely be there mate might not be any walk up so yeah we're advising people get their tickets soon get your Christmas nights organised for it Uh, we're also um, well, I'll give you the exclusive on it then because we'll be going out a wee bit later but we've also got the art school booked for the after party uh, upstairs and downstairs the assembly rooms and uh, the Vic bar so that'll be from 11 to 3 uh, we've got some some big name acts going to be playing at that as well awesome mate I'll hopefully I'll get along to that as well nice one peace love and mustard thank you cheers man cheers